Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. We are so happy you could join us again today for another broadcast of Loving the Christ Life. This uh, podcast is presented weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out online, christ-life.org. We have been in some incredible, incredible excerpts from a wonderful meeting that Warren Litzman held in South Africa years ago. This has been so powerful, and we're so happy we could bring these to you because you can hear how powerful these conferences were in person. It's just a blessing. And now we're going to get right back into it. Another excerpt. Here's Warren Litzman. We think of the price he paid. I was overwhelmed with this one thought out of the latest film by Mel Gibson on the Passion of Christ. The unmerciful beating of the body of Christ, which the world didn't accept and Hollywood didn't like and most Christians didn't like because they didn't understand it. But the unmerciful beating they put on that body in that film said to me one thing, that's not him, that's me. He had no sin. He had nothing to be punished over. But when he drank that cup, I went into that body. And Isaiah had said, in his body, he bore our sins and transgressions. Peter said it too. Then I knew. I knew that even in the awful thing he did in his death, he did it because of me. For God took care of the human race in the body of Jesus Christ that died on the cross. So that Paul could say one day, like in Romans 6, Know ye not that as many of us as have been placed in Christ's death have died to sin. If you ever worry about being punished for your sin, and we got a lot of humans that do that psychologically, Christians even, they want to punish themselves. Asceticism of some sort sets in. That's what builds most of these big church buildings. Asceticism. People want to do something. But next time you feel like you need to punish yourself, forget it. You were punished at the cross. That's your death. It's Paul saying again, I am crucified, W-I-T-H, with Christ. That's me. I'm on the cross. That's my body that brought his hurt and pain to his body. One other thought. Christ in us is so committed to us, so loves us, that he has but one desire in us, and that that we be to the Father what he was to the Father.
It's really a family thing. We've been rebirthed by God. He's our Father. And there's very few that catch this thought. If I'm his offspring, if Christ lives in me, I ought to have some respect for my family. But we still are muddled in our minds over family business. There are probably hundreds of people that would have come to this conference except their family thing, earthly family, was more important. But you know how to make your earthly family more important? It's to be what you are to God in our heavenly family. Then it works out. Because there's nobody in our earthly family worth giving your life for like Jesus gave himself for us. So Christ has made a deep commitment to us. That's the first great commitment operating in the universe. Christ has made a deep commitment to us. We have it in Paul's epistles about the commitment. On the cross, it's our death, not just his death. In the resurrection, it's his resurrection, but it is ours also. We are resurrected with him. His ascension is our ascension. We are seated with him in heavenly places. That's not... a place above, that's a issue of life daily. We're seated with him in heavenly places. Last of all on this thought, our birthing was such a deep commitment by God, placing Christ in us, birthing Christ in us by the incorruptible seed was such a deep commitment on God's part because he knew something humanity has never learned yet. God knew that the structure of our creation, our created part, not our birth part, created part, that part created, sculptured by God out of the dirt of the ground, our body and soul, that part of us was created by God and the only thing that would ever fit that creation for an individual human would be Christ. Nothing else would fit. Nothing fits a human but Christ. That's the life. The old death life of Adam and our life of sin doesn't count. The only thing that fits Our creation in the image and likeness of God is that part of God himself, God the Son. That's the first great commitment made. That's the commitment without which there would be no hope. Earth would be hell. You wouldn't have to go anywhere else. For some people it's like that now. 
But that's the deep commitment. Now to come to this kind of living, to be a genuine, bona fide, blood-washed, heaven-bound Christian, You've got to leave the wording of it. You've got to leave the history of God. And you yourself, your little old self, are going to have to simmer down in living and make a change in your thinking. That's what it comes to. You don't need more power. You don't need more faith. You don't need more God acts. You don't need more miracles. You need a change in your thinking. In fact, the moment you realize that you've got another life in you, and yet you continue to live your own life your own way, thinking that's the way to do it, you're ignorant. You're dumb. Paul would say, you're a fool. Why in the world would you want to continue living your life when you have the God-perfect life in you that fits the way God created you? Remember, in a mother's womb, God put a special touch on you. You're different than anybody else that's ever been birthed. You're different. No two alike. But even at that, we're all in the image and likeness of God. But when you come out of a mother's womb and you begin to take on advice and information, most of it is critically adverse to who you are. Because nobody else knows who you are. Nobody else understands how God made you. There's some people that are strong-willed enough that they become what they think they ought to be. But all of us, without Christ in us, have become something that is erroneous to our creation. So the second great commitment that must be made by human beings must be made by human beings. God's made his commitment to us. He loves us. Now we're at a point as to what we're going to do with that. I'm not talking about getting to heaven. I think the easiest thing to do is to get into heaven. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. I'm talking about you living here and now. I'm talking about your purpose of being on this earth. If you're God's ambassador down here, you ought to have some sense, some knowledge, some understanding that is different from all of heathen and foreigners you're around in this world. There ought to be a difference. So the second great commitment is the one we make to God's commitment to us. That's what Christianity is. That's a commitment to the Christ that is in us. No two ways about it. When they were first called Christians at Antioch, that was because the in Christ message had taken hold. Didn't take hold in Jerusalem. Took hold in Antioch. Because the believers there listened to Paul and on the basis of his revelation of Christ in him, 
He changed the whole course of mankind. He changed the whole plan of God. He's not just another one walking through Holy Word. He is the final voice of God as to what a human being is because his message is based on the cross where it all, where it all transpired, took place. I can't talk about our commitment to God from our viewpoint. It's just too great a subject because we're all so different and so diversified in our way of doing things. And so we turn to the Apostle Paul for this because he's the first that ever saw this. Things I've talked about here today. The first human being that ever saw that, that ever understood that, was the Apostle Paul. And he got it directly from Christ through many revelations. Christ had shown him what the plan of God was, the final plan of God, especially for those that God would birth himself and take to his house. So if we want to talk about commitment, we need to go to the one man that God trusted with this message. You understand that? That's very important because God didn't trust anybody else in this blessed book with this message. Jesus himself did not bring this message, though it's obvious he knew it. But he came to restore Israel and that was his purpose and that's what he did till he got to the cross. But he never brought us this message. When he got back to heaven, he sent it back to this earth by the Apostle Paul. And that's why Paul is a key to Christian living. That's why they were first called Christians under Paul's ministry. Because a Christian is somebody who knows what God has done. They know that. Now we can all be Christian by name and know nothing. In fact, we'll run around saying, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Catholic. You can put any kind of name you want to on it, and everybody assumes that's Christian, but it isn't. A Christian is one who knows what Paul's message was, because that's the area of Scripture where the commitment on humans becomes important. You see, it all started... That day in the Arabian desert, when he was waiting before God, and he coins it in these words when he says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. I've been trying to bring that out to you, that those were the most ominous words ever spoken by God to this earth. I mean, Noah could be told to build an ark, and that's a huge thing. But that doesn't compare with the Arabian desert word. Abraham can be told he'll be the father of a great nation. But that doesn't compare with what Paul got in Arabia. Because all of these others were created in the image and likeness of God, but had nothing to stabilize it. They had no new life in them and would not have new life in them. They would have to go by their own self-effort to please God. But here was one that God spoke to that changed the course of time. It changed what human beings were. 
sadly, religion hadn't caught up with this thought yet. When Christ revealed to Paul that he was his life, that Christ's spirit had been joined to his spirit, they were one, and that's Christ alive in a human being. When Paul got that message, he was the only one that received it. Strangely, there was nobody else that got such a message. Peter didn't get it. Peter wasn't really interested in that time in the message because he was in another gospel. None of the other apostles got it. None of the other leaders of that day got it as far as the record is concerned. It was given to Paul so that Paul would be forced to say on two different occasions at least that God has given to me in my life a special period of time, a dispensation, a special period of time for me to get this word out to you. That's my reason for existence. That's the reason for everything. To get this word out to you that Christ lives in human beings. See, that's big. That's bigger than Noah's Ark or the Ark of the Covenant or Israel or anything else. That's God finishing the human being. So instead of me working on you directly, I will indirectly, but instead of working on you directly, I'm going to deal with Paul directly because he was the first to know this. He was the first to have this information and to figure what to do with it. He was the one Jesus said, now you know this, go tell everybody else. Three times Paul said, this was given to me to give to you. So we've got to look at Paul to see how this happened, how this is to take place, what, what is to be. He gets up, I see him, as I said, uh, kneeling at a rock somewhere in the Arabian desert, and he gets up off his knees. I assume he was on his knees. You don't have to be, but I assume that. And he gets up, and I'm sure he shakes himself and says, my God, what am I going to do with this information? Who is there in the universe will ever believe that the human being, by the finished work of Christ on the cross, no longer lives? Only by another life in him, the Christ life. It's the only way they're going to live. What am I going to do with this information? How am I going to handle it? Well, he goes back to that group and Ananias, maybe he was still staying in Ananias' house, I don't know. But he goes back there and they're a bunch of Pentecostals. Can you imagine what he's going to say to them? They think they're full of the Holy Ghost. But they have no con concept, conception that Christ lives in them. So they're trying to get faith enough to get to Christ. He finally goes over to Jerusalem and talks to the hierarchy there. And they receive him slightly, but they 
got a deep thing in their heart they can't get over, and that is he killed some of their relatives. And they're not going to forgive him for that, and never did. So here is the man that has the key to living. He has the totality of God's plan in his mind. What is he going to do with that information? He's a smart man, smartest man in the Bible as far as secular training is concerned. What's he going to do with all he knows and understands? He knows religion won't take this. He knows the other rabbis won't listen to him. He knows nobody's interested. So what is he going to do with this information? I'm glad he wasn't like a lot of us because when you get this information that Christ lives in you, the last thing you want is some of your relatives to know that you're walking around with Christ in you. You're going to keep it quiet. <laughs> but you will take one of the books and give it to some preacher who hasn't the slightest idea where Christ is, and boy, will he lambast you. My dear friend Norman Grubb and I had a lot of conferences together before he died. But in his testimony, he was talking about the time when up north of here in Africa when he was a missionary working with C.T. Studd. He didn't like black people. Here he was, a missionary to blacks, and he didn't like them. <laughs> but he said God started dealing with him on the basis of Christ living in humans. He said one day he was looking out of the window of his little shack, and he saw a bunch of blacks walking back and forth out there, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Norman... There goes Jesus in black bodies. And he said, for the first time I understood. He had his revelation there. Christ lives in us. Not the good of us. Not the smartest of us. Christ lives in every person that accepted Jesus as their Savior because God has no other kind of salvation other than Christ in you. There is no other. Just like there's no other Christ outside of this room walking the streets of Port Elizabeth. The only Christ in Port Elizabeth is in you. He isn't anywhere else. He's not hanging on the church steeple I'll never understand why folks here put a rooster up there instead of a cross. <laughs> I've asked several people, they can't tell me. 
I have assumed that's the rooster that crowed to Peter. <laughs> Maybe that's one way to bring conviction. So what we're going to do next is look at the commitment made to a believer who has Christ in them. We'll turn to Paul for that. He explicitly relates it, beautifully testifies to it, and ironically has convinced very few of us. But it is my prayer that you shall be alerted, even alarmed, as to what you've done with the Christ in you. If you can show me that there's any other way in this book a person can be saved other than by the life of Christ in them, you're excused. But I haven't found it. I'm not very smart in this book. I've been at it going on about 56 years now. And I can tell you it opens up brighter and more gloriously every day. Never has gotten old. Especially since I see that the Word and the life in me are the same thing. It's deepened and it's been blessed. And now for Africa, we've come to another blessed moment of tea time. We're going to stop right here, but can you see how powerful these conferences were that Warren Litzman did around the world? This one, of course, from South Africa. What a blessing to have these tapes and the videos from some of these conferences. It's so powerful. I want to thank Robbie Litzman. She allows us to go into these archives each week to bring these to you. Of course, Valerie Hill, thank you for the Twitter account you do for us each week. Tammy Laycock, thank you for the weekly podcast reports. And, of course, this program is produced weekly by the wonderful and talented Teresa Ferraro. Don't forget, visit our website, christ-life.org. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson loving the Christ life.